This is Cruise Radio. I cruise a lot and I always sail with travel insurance. You should too. Get a free quote today at tripinsurance.com. Broadcasting from the tripinsurance.com studios in Jacksonville, Florida. This is Cruise Radio. Hey, how's it going? My name is Doug Parker. Thank you so much for checking out this episode of Cruise Radio. Very happy to have you here, my friend. A review of Carnival Venezia today, a Bahamas cruise out of New York City. But first, staff writer Richard Sims is here with with cruise news. Hey, Richard. Hey, Doug Parker. How are you? Good, man. Welcome back from your cruise. And we kick things off with whispers about a new ship or actually new ships, plural, in the pipeline. That's right, Doug. And over the past few weeks, those whispers have gotten a whole lot louder. Um, It's looking as if Carnival Corporation is very close to announcing a new deal with Fincantieri Shipyard for four new ships with a combined price tag of around $7 billion. That's billion with a B. So obviously there's not a lot about this that we know, given that unless something has changed since we recorded this, there's no confirmation of the actual order. It's all just like rumors and being reported in various places. But based on what's been making the rounds, it sounds like these ships would be a little bit larger than Carnival Jubilee, which is currently their newest and biggest ship within Carnival Cruise Line. Uh, that one carries about 6,500 passengers, while these new ones would supposedly carry around 7,000 passengers. At least one source, a publication called Shipping Italy, claims that some division of Carnival would take delivery of the first ship in 2028 or possibly 2029. They also speculated that at least one of these ships might be heading for Costa. And in some ways that makes sense, especially when you look at the fact that, you know, Carnival Cruise Line – Um, As opposed to Carnival Corporate, you always have to remember those are two different things. Carnival Cruise Line has taken two Costa ships recently. You know, we just uh, the 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 Venezia and the uh, the Firenze. There you go. They um, they took both of those ships and are going to be sailing them because you know Venezia is already sailing out of New York. And the other is going to start sailing out of Long Beach, California. So it makes sense that one of these ships might go to sort of help up the capacity at the actual Costa line. But again, all of this is rumor. It certainly seems based on, you know, all of the various tidbits that keep coming out. It certainly seems very legitimate. And I would be surprised if now that it's, you know, getting leaks like this, if we don't by next week's news, we will probably have confirmation on this, I would assume. Yeah, I'm sure there's some behind the scenes scurrying right now for finalizing renderings and things like that. Well, at least they're not doing the thing they usually do where they're like, no, there's no truth to this whatsoever. And then like a week later, you find out that, yeah, it was true all along. So the fact that there is no denial definitely tells me that we're getting close. And it looks like someone on the Ultimate World Cruise is saying it might not actually be an Ultimate World Cruise. You know, this is why you should always get your news from trusted sources and not influencers and the like. So one of the TikTokers who is currently on Royal Caribbean's Ultimate World Cruise posted a video saying basically they'd heard rumors that the trip was actually going to be cut short and that it would end in Los Angeles. And the reason they gave for this was some of the um, various political things going on around the world and the and the unrest in certain parts of the world. 
they they then went on, which I thought was hysterical, to very helpfully suggest, hey, here's some other places you could go. You know, like like Royal Caribbean needs their help in figuring out where to move their ships should this become necessary. Um, they they called it very worrisome and said that you know people on board should really be told what's going on. So um, People Magazine got a statement from Royal Caribbean, which basically said. You know, no, the first segment of the cruise, because remember, it's divided up into like three segments and you can do all of it or any one of those segments. The first segment of the cruise would be coming to an end in February and then they would very shortly after that be taking off on the next segment. And they were looking forward to, you know, continuing the voyage. Now, here's the thing. That doesn't mean None of this means that somewhere down the line there will not be changes made to this itinerary, whether because of, you know, political unrest, whether because of weather. Anybody who gets on a cruise ship should know that itinerary changes are always a possibility and they can be done at the cruise lines, you know, will. Uh, they can, you know, somebody can wake up one day and say, you know, let's send the ship to here. And, and that's what happens. It's in your cruise contract. They have the right to do this. And I think that on a ship, a trip as long as this one, it's almost inevitable that there are going to be some changes along the way um, for whatever reasons. So they they basically said, no, there is no truth to this as of now. Doesn't mean it can't happen later, but right now it's not. So rumor shut down or at the very least put on the back burner until, you know, until something comes up later that says otherwise. Do we know when that ship is supposed to get to L.A.? Uh, sometime in February. I don't remember yeah. exactly when, mm -hmm. um, but it is sometime in February. Gotcha. And one cruise line is taking a stand against bringing rubber ducks on board. You know, somebody needed to take a stand. Um, this was going to happen eventually. I think the thing that surprises me most is that when a cruise line finally decided to say, Ugh, enough with these rubber ducks people are hiding, it was Disney. I would not have expected that in a million years, but it's true. They've actually asked the guests stop bringing the adorable little things on board and hiding them around the ship for other people to find. They didn't exactly demand that people stop doing this, but let's say they requested it in a very firm tone. That way that, like, if your mom or dad says something, you know they mean don't do it. Uh, they've even begun asking crew members who find the ducks to remove them. Now, we don't know exactly what they're going to do with these ducks if they find them. In my mind, I have this vision of them all being, like, tossed into the brig, because every ship has a brig. Let's get some use out of it. Toss them on the brig, and then they can empty it out at the end of each cruise and hopefully give them to, like, some charity or, you know, something like that. Uh, I kind of assumed that w when we reported on Ducks Next, it would be that some cruise line probably Carnival, was selling them in their gift shops and that only official ducks would be allowed. But no, that's not how it went. I'm still pretty sure that someone is going to start selling these at some point because if there's one thing we know, it's that cruise lines do not like to leave money on the table. So the fact that, you know, I think on my last cruise, um, just the ones that were, that were um, reported in the Facebook group for the cruise, between all the different people who were bringing ducks, there were probably a thousand ducks <laughs> hidden on that ship. Weirdly, I didn't find a single one. But with that many ducks being, you know, sold, I, or I'm sure that one of the cruise lines is going to get very smart and say, you know what, we're going to not only sell the ducks, but we're going to sell 
branded ducks, you know, that have the name of the ship or the name of the cruise line or whatever on them. And people would definitely buy that. So I'll be interested to see where this goes next. But for right now, if you're packing for your Disney trip, don't be putting any ducks in your suitcase. So that just leaves what? Donald and Daisy? <laughs> yes, yeah. those they are allowed on board. Okay, Donald good. and Daisy will definitely be allowed on board. But I'm not so sure about like Uncle Scrooge and Huey, Dewey and Louie. Mm. We'll file this next story under an A for at least it's not COVID. That's right. We're back to reporting about that old standby who was with us long before COVID came along, neurovirus. Enough passengers and crew members on board um, the a sailing of Celebrity Constellation earlier this month were diagnosed with neuro that it had to be reported to the CDC. As regular listeners know, there are certain thresholds at which that takes place. Like if a certain percentage of the passengers on board um, fall ill, then it has to be reported to the CDC. Um, and as regular listeners also know, while norovirus is very, very, very strongly associated in the public mind with cruise ships, you're far more likely to get it on land. And that's because cruise ships have these rules in place requiring them to report outbreaks. And there were people walking around among us who truly, honestly think that the only way you can contract neurovirus is if you're on a ship. They think that's the only way that, that the only place that this spreads because that's the only place you ever really hear it about. But that's not true. It's incredibly common. Um, and it's far, far, far more common that people get it off of a ship, you know, that people get it with no connection to a ship whatsoever. The one and only time I had neurovirus, um, I got it on land and my best friend who would rather do just about anything than go anywhere near a cruise ship and has never been on one also got it. So, you know, that's, that's, that's just the way it is. But hey, this was the first outbreak of the new year. So certainly worth a mention. And finally, Carnival's newest ship is going to get a little bit of company down there in Galveston, Texas. That's right. It was just a few weeks ago that Carnival Jubilee, um, once you got off of it, started sailing out of Galveston with a whole lot of fanfare. And it turns out that the Texas port is becoming quite the hotspot for new ships. Um, MSC announced that in 2025, they'll be sailing the Seascape, which, okay, not a new ship, but it's a new ship for Galveston, out of that port. This is a big move by MSC, which has been making inroads in the U.S. market. Last year, they started sailing the Meraviglia year-round out of Brooklyn, which, of course, thrilled me. I'm looking forward to doing that. And now this. I remember it wasn't that long ago that if somebody said MSC, uh, you know, people kind of went, huh? What? What's that? You know, who is that? Is that is that a division of some news network? Yeah. But now, thanks to their expanding presence and their very, very big marketing spend, I mean, they have ads running all the time here in the New York market. They're becoming a real player in North America. And, um, you know, I, I'm excited. I, I have never had the MSC experience, and I'm going to not only do the MSC, but I'm going to be in the Yacht Club, and it'll be my first visit to their private island. So you know, really excited about this. And now here's Galveston also getting their shot um, to to experience MSC with this very nice, very big ship coming their way. All right, staff writer Richard Sims. Actually, you know what? We're going to talk after the break uh, about your latest sailing, right? Carnival Venezia. Right. Okay. So I'll just sit here in the green room while the <laughs> All right. program runs and I'll you can bring me back when you're ready. Be right back. 
Have a question or a comment for the show? Yeah! Send an email or voice memo to Doug at CruiseRadio.net. A big question we get at Cruise Radio is, how do I know if I need trip insurance? Simple answer. If you're getting on a plane, taking a road trip, or getting on a cruise ship, you need to have travel insurance. Hey, it's Doug Parker for my friends at TripInsurance.com. Not not only does TripInsurance.com protect your vacation investment, but it also gives you peace of mind in case anything were to go wrong on your trip. How do they do it? They offer three different types of trip insurance policies. Good, better, and best. One policy for every vacation budget. But it doesn't just stop there. They're up to 40% lower when you shop around on other comparison sites. Plus, TripInsurance.com offers 24-hour customer support before, during, and after your trip, online claims assistance, and travel alerts to let you know what's going on at your destination. But find out for yourself. Check out TripInsurance.com. The world is constantly changing. Your place for news is still the same. Online and on demand at cruiseradio.net. All right, Richard, you're up. Okay, okay. Stretching, let's do this. <laughs> all right, staff writer Richard Sims joins us again to talk all about his cruise on Carnival Venezia he did last week. I'm going to skip the formalities. I just said hi to you 15 minutes ago, so we'll jump right to it. What made you want to book this sailing out of Manhattan on Carnival Venezia? I mean, for one thing, anytime they bring a new ship uh, to my home port, I like to give it a try. That's, you know, we don't get a huge number of ships here. For a while, we only had, you know, mostly just NCL. So I did a lot of NCL for a while there. But now, you know, they're they're bringing other ships here. So there was that. There was also the fact that this was such a different ship from anything I had sailed before because, of course, it's it was, you know, an Italian ship built for, what, like the Japanese market. There were just so many interesting things about this ship that I, as soon as they announced it was coming to New York, I immediately booked. So just to set the benchmark here, you've done two Carnival cruises. You live up in Woodstock, New York. You made your way down to Manhattan to embark, uh, embark the ship. How was the embarkation process? How the embarkation process was really depends on when you arrived. Mm-hmm. I happened to arrive at a really great time. I uh, it took me about two minutes to go through uh, the security process and the check-in process. And then um, I think it was about an hour, an hour and a half after that that we started boarding. And the reason I say what the experience was like depends on when you arrived was I have talked to people who arrived about an hour after I did. And apparently, I don't know why, but like people were made to wait outside in like a three block line, long line. And as you know, this is January in New York city. So it wasn't exactly warm outside. Uh, It, there just apparently were a lot of snafus and apparently this is pretty common um, with this particular ship boarding out of this particular port. And I don't know why, because I sail out of this port all the time and I've, you know, never experienced anything like that. But yeah, I talked to quite a few people who said that it was kind of hellish. But I'm curious, Richard, like, I know Carnival, some cruise ports are sticklers for if your boarding pass says between 11 and 1130, you better get there at that time. So if someone got there on time, would they still be waiting? That's a really good question. I mean, when I walked in, they did have a part of the terminal where there was a sign saying, you know, if you're early or late, this is where you go. Mm -hmm. That was inside the terminal, though. And 
you know, so that's why I don't really understand what went wrong that, and, and not only that, but I've seen much bigger ships, you know, that, that this terminal can handle the people. It gets a little crowded in there. Sure. But it's not like you need to be waiting outside until we start boarding because we need to make room for people. So I really don't know what the problem is there. What were your first impressions walking on board the ship? I was blown away by it um, because it is so different. I mean, you've got that beautiful alfresco ceiling in the atrium. You've got, you know, people obviously have mixed impressions. Now, the one impression that I did have that was a, that, that annoyed me a little bit was it was still Christmas. Um, all the Christmas decorations were up and I was long over Christmas. I'm I'm done with Christmas as soon as the presents are open. So walking in and seeing like all the trees and all the garland and all that drove me a little bit nuts. Um, but the ship itself really, you know, quite beautiful, makes quite the impression. Although it depends on how you feel. I, you know, there are other people who do not get that look and find it a little tacky, a little over the top. But as as a fan of the old Joe Farkas designs, you know, bring on the tacky. I'll take it. I love it. Um, I, I very smartly quickly made my way. You know, most people stop in the atrium and have a drink and the atrium bar gets kind of crowded. Uh, I wandered down to deck five to the Carnival Lounge, um, really just exploring. I wasn't I wasn't particularly going to have a drink. But I found out that that bar is open on embarkation day and nobody knows about it. So I was literally the first customer at the bar. um, And, you know, eventually a few other people came in and we all sat and talked. And that's when I found out about the uh, the embarkation experience some people were having. But that's my first tip for this cruise ship is if you want to go have a drink and not be surrounded by a million people, go down to the Carnival Lounge because it is open. You say the Carnival Lounge, that would be the Havana Bar on ships that have the Havana Bar? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And the, so like the bar is open, um, the back part of it, beyond it, just like with the Havana, you cannot access without a band, um, which I had because I was staying in a terraza cabin. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a great bar, really cool staff. They do a lot of karaoke there. I've never seen so much karaoke in my yeah. life, but that's for later. And then let's talk about the Terraza cabin you stayed in. So this was the accommodations for your cruise here. Um, what kind of cabin did you have within the Terraza and what did you think of it throughout the week? Loved it. It was a balcony. It was an aft facing balcony. So um, the actual Terraza Plaza, um, which is sort of basically the Havana area on the back of the ship is on deck five. I was three decks above that on deck eight and with this very nice balcony that overlooked the terraza and then of course the wake of the ship. And it was it was a great stateroom. It was quite spacious, had plenty of storage and all of that. Um, I never really heard noise from the neighbors. Uh, it was it was really nicely decorated. It had an actual shower, you know, not a shower curtain, but an actual big shower door. Uh, it's interesting. I had actually booked a different stateroom originally. I had booked one of the corner staterooms, which have wraparound balconies. But upon looking closer at the layout of the room and doing a little research, I realized that while they have very big, very nice curving bathroom or um, balconies, uh, especially on deck, deck eight, the room design is very awkward and very weird, and the bed is placed at a weird angle, and the room kind of comes is more triangle shaped than traditional. So I was able to switch myself out of that and move into this more traditional balcony, uh, aft facing balcony. 
Do you remember if your stateroom had USB-C connections? Because I've had them in one room, but didn't have it in the other room. What was it like for you? Yes, um, I, do, I do remember that. I think I knew that that wasn't necessarily common because you had mentioned it before. Gotcha. Let's stick to the area you were staying in just for a moment here, because you have that area where you need to have a wristband to go in and out. How well was that enforced? Because on my sailing, um, I booked back there and I forgot my band and uh, I took it off before the shower, didn't put it back on. And they're like, I'm sorry, you can't come back here until you go get your band. It's interesting. So along the side of the ship on deck five is where you is where the terraza cabins that have those um those coal and eyes with the hammocks and all that are and i know a lot of people get concerned about the fact that you know there's your lanai then there's the promenade and then there's you know the view of the ocean and so people are very worried about people walking by on that i did not have that type of stateroom but i was really observing it and there's very little traffic back and forth through there so you know for the most part i don't think that's something that people should be concerned about but what was really interesting to me was how very little use the actual terraza area on the back got there were very rarely more than you know three or four people back there. Sometimes at night, now this area is only open to um, guests with the band until 7 p.m. After 7 p.m., it's open to anybody. And at that point, I did notice that like some people would come in and like go to the hot tubs, that kind of thing, because there's two hot tubs down there. But for the most part, there was almost no one down there. Now, to be fair, we did not have great weather for this sailing. Um, it was, um, we got a lot of kind of like, chilly rainy days we had rough seas for almost the entire trip so that i don't have any doubt played a part of a role why people weren't out there but the other thing i noticed was that when people were out there there was like no drink service um if you wanted to drink you had to go into the ship into the bar in the in the the, the Car- carnival lounge in order to get a drink i i never once saw a drink server on the terraza, which I thought was not good. Yeah, it's not like Carnival either. They're normally, you know, pushing drinks down your throat. Yeah, um, like it, I wondered if this would be if this would be something that I noticed throughout the ship. You know, especially in the casino, that's the other place where you know you really want to get a drink, especially since there's not a casino bar in there. Yeah, and in there, I mean, it was pretty they had pretty good bar service in there but i guess that's because they want to keep you drunk to spend yeah. money in the casino <laughs> but yeah there was there was it it was very strange to me not to see i will say i did find service on this ship was not up to par i thought that there were a lot of times when service was not particularly great and the, the lack of drink servers in certain areas was definitely one of those things. And back to the private decks on deck five there, if you have one of those lanai cabins, I will say that on my sailing, I had one of the cabins in the back there and there's not a lot of foot traffic. Maybe I've counted two people walking by during the day and they weren't randoms. They were my neighbors pretty much. Yeah, totally agree. If that's something that you're concerned about, I mean, I certainly wouldn't have had any hesitation booking one of those. Yeah. And, and I actually will also say, I kind of, when I thought about those initially, I kind of thought that the promenade between the lanai and the view of the ocean would bother me. But it, when you actually see it, it's not what you expect. It's it's not bad at all. I would I would totally do one. 
All right, so let's talk about food. And what we'll do here is we'll talk about the food within your terrazza area because I believe you get what breakfast there and you're allowed a sea day brunch in the steakhouse. Is that how it goes? It is. I never went to the breakfast. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not really a breakfast person, so I never. Um, and when I did do breakfast, I it was more the sea day brunch, um, the regular sea day brunch, which I did two or three times and was absolutely excellent. But I also did do they have a special sea day brunch for guests of the terraza that is held in the steakhouse. It's got a limited menu, but it's a pretty decent menu. And the food was absolutely excellent, as was the service. It also was another place where I really expected it to be more crowded than it was. You know, there were. Um, it's in the steakhouse, and there were maybe 30 people in there when I went, mm-hmm. um, whereas I expected to, like, have to – I thought this was someplace I'd have to wait in line because all the different terraza guests would want to get in there. But no, not at all. Um, it was it was excellent and a a um, a real – you know, I, I, I think it was very valuable and was – I would have paid money for that breakfast. It was good. Well, how different was that menu against the regular sea day brunch menu? Very different. Very, very different. Night and day. Um, you know, uh, the sea day or, or the, the regular sea day menu is nice. It's got a lot of good stuff on it. Um, but this was more elevated. This mm-hmm. was definitely a different experience. And there were things on there that I've never even heard of, to be honest. <laughs> um, it was it was a very, very good menu. And you also got a free, you know, mimosa or um Aperol spritz so I tried my first Aperol spritz did not care for it as it turns out (laughs) um but yeah it it was it was a definite worth doing all right so let's talk about up at the top there the Lido deck marketplace how was the food up there uh wasn't bad the worst part of it I, I did lunch up there one day um the worst part was the what do they call it? Late afternoon or late night buffet, late mm. night snacks, whatever they call it. That was lame. Um, they had chicken tenders, hot dogs, pizza, and not the good pizza that you get, you know, from the back of the ship, but just like, you know, thick, like cafeteria pizza, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and the line to get what little there was, was ridiculously long. Um uh, to the point where a lot of people were like, you know what, I'm just going to go to my room and pay $6 and order a room service pizza. Because the room service pizza is the same pizza from the back. And it was excellent. I ordered it and wings one night and it was fantastic. It was well worth paying for as opposed to standing in line for, you know, chicken nuggets. <laughs> um, so that was not that didn't that was not impressive at all. Um I don't know why they even bother, to be honest. I think it inspires more complaints than it does anything else. I really think they would be better just keeping, you know, opening up some other venue like Guy's Burgers or something that people actually like and keeping it open later than this because it was it was not good. How about Guy's Burger Joint or Blue Iguana Cantina out there by the pool? Uh, I did. I did one guy's burger. I allowed myself to have one. I was trying to be as good as I possibly could be, which is hard when you're on a cruise. But I did. I tried the new pepperoni pizza burger, which was it was good. But the slab of mozzarella that they put on top, it's huge. And it's it's kind of like it's like a fried mozzarella. And I found that once I took that off the burger or just broke a few pieces of it off onto my burger, it was much, much better. But um, if there was a that was another area where this ship uh, overall, I think this ship is 
not designed for the number of people that are on it. Mm-hmm. it. It There were a lot of lines in a lot of places. If you weren't at Guys when it opened up, you were going to stand in line. If you weren't at the, uh, the Tomodoro when it opened up, you were going to stand in line. And no matter when you went to the pizza place, you were going to stand in line. But more than that, just everything felt crowded. You know, the forget the aft-facing pool. The pool back there, I mean, it was human soup. Um, And there were just, you weren't going to get a lounge chair anywhere in there. You weren't going to get a lounge chair anywhere on the Lido near the, the, you know, the main pool. Um, They had the roof closed part of the time. And then one or two days, we did get nice enough weather. They were able to open it. But that was, I tend to be the type of traveler who spends a lot of time on my balcony in my room and and I spent a lot of time down in the in the terraza. And so I, I loved it. I had a great time on the ship, but mm. I heard a lot of complaints from people and I certainly saw how really crowded things were. And the dining situation was sort of the same. Like, you know, if you went to go to the main dining room, first of all, it's one of those dining rooms that's sort of you have to know where to go because the ship is one of those carnival ships that's oddly designed and you have to go up a a flight of stairs and then down the other side in order to get to the restaurant. But the other problem with it was, was it was just really chaotic as far as checking in. I had anytime dining and I would, you know, do the little thing and it would tell you when your, when your table is ready and I would go and I would get there and it would say, and I'd show up at deck four in the in the uh, Grand Canal dining room, and they'd say, oh, no, you have to go down to deck three. Or I'd show up at deck three, and they'd say, no, you have to go up to deck four. And when you got there, there was one poor girl standing there with her iPad trying to help, like, 75 people, all of whom had been told their table was ready. It was It was a little chaotic. How was the food in the dining room? Great. I uh, really very, very good. Um, I was a little worried, you know, based on the chaos that was outside the dining room. I was a little worried how how the food would be, but it was really fantastic. I, I ate in the main dining room three or four nights, which is kind of unusual for me. Um, but I really enjoyed it. And the sea day, the sea the day brunch in the dining room, you know, aside from the special one in the steakhouse, the sea day brunch in the dining room was really good. You know, I had like huevos rancheros and just, um, and, and, and hash browns and things, and they were all really good. I enjoyed them a lot. Specialty restaurant wise, I did the steakhouse on the last night. That's always, I end every trip in the steakhouse if I possibly can. And it was as always excellent, just a really, really fantastic meal with really good service. It was everything you expect from a, you know, from a steakhouse uh, and certainly on a cruise ship. I did not go to the Italian restaurant. I saved that for my next trip. Uh, I did do one other specialty restaurant. What would it have been on that ship? Oh no, I did the chef's table. This was the first, this was the first time this, this new version of the chef's table had been done on this ship. So um, that was kind of cool. It starts out basically the same as the old one. You go into the galley and you have, you know, like four little appetizer kind of cool things. And they're not, you know, it's not like you go in and you have a shrimp cocktail. You go in and you have some gastronomic experience where the, you know, it's 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 a frozen gel that explodes in your mouth kind of thing. So there were like four of those. And then the chef's table itself was actually in the kitchen, which is which is really cool. I think that's how a chef's table should be. Um, and it wasn't previous chef tables. In fact, one that you and I did on one of the ships, um, I think you, I and Ashley did it. 
it was almost more about the presentation, you know, like they had boxes and you had to open the box and they had a little, um, uh, a mushroom thing that you had to like add the water and whisk it. And it was fun. It was an experiential thing. This is not that this is very much about the food. It's all plated for you. It's all put in front of you. You don't build any of it yourself or anything like that. Um, and it was, I don't remember like 12 courses on top of what you had already eaten in the galley, but again, small courses, Interesting. I say this every time I talk about a chef's table, and I'm going to reiterate it here. Do not book the chef's table if you are not interested in, you know, foods outside your normal comfort zone. I It was $150. I actually got it for $99 because I booked it before the price went up. But it's $150 with wine and all that. But I would say probably six out of the 12 people at the table did not eat half of the things, you know, they were like, Oh no, that's not something I would eat. Or, Oh no, that's got mushrooms. I'm not going to touch that. You know, um, if you're not going to, <laughs> if you're not an, a, the kind of person who likes to experience new foods or who has a kind of semi brave palate, don't do this. It's a waste of $150. If you, if you're, if you're a picky eater. Yeah. Uh, how was the entertainment on this cruise? Mostly playlist productions, and I'm not a fan of playlist productions um, as a rule. I I just I'm not a fan of jukebox musicals, um, and I had already seen two of the three. One was Broadway Bound, which I saw on Mardi Gras. One was Pop Vintage, which we saw on like Sunrise or something like that. The third was Color My World, and I had never seen that one, so I did decide to check it out. I only lasted like. I felt like you. I lasted like 12 minutes and was like, okay, I gave the old college try and I booked out of there. I just, the lead singer was not particularly good and the show just, I didn't get it. It just, yeah. So I didn't particularly enjoy that. Now, I will say there was a lot of other great entertainment around the ship. There was an amazing piano player who didn't just play in the piano bar. In fact, one of my favorite nights, he joined the three electric violinists and they put on a joint concert in the atrium, which was just, just beautiful and a lot of fun. The violinists were there like every night, you know, they had a different theme every night. There's nothing like hearing three electric um, violinists playing like eighties music. It was very fun. Um, Overall, like I think the, the entertainment outside of the playlist productions was was really quite good. They had they had a fantastic um, acoustic guitar player who played all different styles and was found all over the ship. You never knew where he was going to show up. Um, and of course, as I mentioned earlier, they had so much karaoke. I think they did karaoke in the Car- Carnival Lounge at least twice a day. Like they did it in the afternoon and then they did it at night. <laughs> the other thing I have to shout out here is the entertainment staff. Um, um, Mark Hugh, the cruise director phenomenal probably the best cruise director i've ever had i i feel like if i knew him in real life and he was like that all the time i would get annoyed (laughs) but his energy and his fun just every announcement he made from embarkation to disembarkation was full of life and energy and fun and made you laugh and he did the love and marriage show and it was the best love and marriage show I've ever seen in large part because he knew how to get the most out of the people on that stage. It was, it was a blast. He was amazing. That's good to hear. Any comedy shows? Oh, I did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, I saw one of the comedians twice, Lucas Braun, 
um, who was so good, so funny. Um, I actually, it was funny. One day I was uh, sitting in Guy's Burgers and, uh, or one of the places down there. And I kept looking at the table next to me and I'm like, I think that's him. Cause he's kind of distinctive looking. He's a very small, tiny little guy, very compact. And, and, you know, I'm sure you must have sensed that I was staring at him. And, and finally I, you know, at the end of the meal, I was like, you know, I'm sorry, are you? He's like, yeah. <laughs> and then we chatted for a little bit. Very, very nice guy. Um, and, and I will say this, you know, they always tell you get there early. You won't get a seat if you don't. It was actually easier to get a seat in the punch punchliner lounge. Like I went there after the show had already started and just kind of like walked in and got a seat in the back. Then it was in the theater when they did um, the show in the theater. It was so crowded that like that was standing room only. Um, and they also I I don't know maybe this is maybe they do this all the time. I don't remember it from past sailings, but they actually had the comedian doing afternoon shows on sea days like at 2 30 in the afternoon they wow. would have the comedian in the punchliner okay so how were the sea days i know you had a few of them there uh, as far as crowds and congestion and uh, in the casino as far as the smoke situation the casino was packed the casino was far too small um for that size ship now there is a um, non-smoking casino but it's very small and it's weirdly placed like you have to really know where it is to find it um it doesn't have a lot of machines it does have machines and table games but it was always crowded um uh and as for the main casino the smoke level was pretty high um and it was definitely crowded all the time like i went at odd hours in order to get you know, the machines that I was interested in playing. And the thing that really makes it worse, and this is all of the cruise lines are guilty of this. They love to say, you know, the casino is only open. You can only smoke in the casino if you're playing. They don't enforce that at all. That's one of the reasons the smoking is so bad. But the other thing that is kind of annoying is every single person in the casino seems to have somebody traveling with them who doesn't gamble, but takes up the seat at the next machine. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there were times when you'd go in there and half the people in the casino, all the machines were taken, but half the people weren't actually playing. And, you know, if you went up to somebody and said, Hey, would it be okay if I play this machine? They would get really offended, you know, like, like, like how, how very dare. Um, so that, it wasn't my favorite casino, but I had a lot of fun. There were some really cool new machines that I had never played before. And, you know, I did okay up and down, which is, you know, all I really want is to be able to play for a while. But overall, the casino was definitely too small for that ship. All right. Yeah. Play those low volatility machines. Yeah. Get you yes. in there for a few hours, right? <laughs> um, they, had a, they had a machine I'd never seen before called um, something like Beguiling Bats or something. It had something to do with bats. And mm -hmm. like every time we got bats, you got bonus. And it was amazing. Every time I sat down at it, it would pay off for me. So nice. there you go. So let's talk about the ports of call. Uh, I know you said at the top of the interview, you had a couple of, uh, of weather days out there. So that did that uh, impact your itinerary at all? It did. In fact, it impacted the only port that I cared about. Mm -hmm. um, one of the reasons that I was really excited about this trip was it was going to Half Moon Key, and I've never been there. I've always wanted to go. Um, I had this long internal debate. I even talked to you about whether or not you know it was worth getting a, a, a 
uh, one of the one of the cabanas on the island, despite the fact that they're ridiculously expensive now. It turned out all of that was for naught because the weather was too bad and we couldn't go to Half Moon K. Um, you know, we'll be a, it, it's one of those things where you're like, oh, why can't it be a year from now when the pier will be done? So we skipped that. Uh, we went to Nassau, which I got to explore the new, you know, the new port area of Nassau, which really is a vast improvement. I almost wasn't going to get off the ship because I didn't really care, but I'm glad I did. And the the whole area is much nicer now. Um, the shopping experience is nicer. There's um, there's actually an amazing wine wine and art bar if you're in Nassau and you're in the port. Look for the wine and art bar. The art is incredible. And the people who run it are super nice, and the and they have a great bar with really comfortable seats. It's it's a nice place to spend a little time, so I highly recommend that. That was great. The other port we went to was Freeport, and one of the comedians, um, Lucas Braun, um, was kind of trashing Freeport in his routine. He's like, you know, had some very choice words for Freeport, and when we got there, I saw why it is just an ugly port i you know i was like okay i'll get off for a few minutes it's kind of a rainy day but i'll get off anyway and i wandered around you know the little marketplace they have there and i was like okay enough got back on the ship it, the freeport is just you know now now we could see from where we were we could see um one of the ncl ships that is in dry dock right now and we could also see where they're starting to develop you know you, where they're building the beach for the for what's going to be the new um destination in Freeport. And I can see why this is very necessary because there is just, there's just no reason to get off the ship in Freeport. People joke about Nassau being a port. You don't have to get off the ship. Now I think Nassau is definitely worth getting off, but Hmm. Freeport, you know, wait. (laughs) So you had a couple of sea days and then back to Manhattan. Yeah. How was, uh, what's that? Rough sea days. I was going to say, I know uh, when you were sailing, they had they closed all the schools here in Jacksonville because we had like sixty mile an hour winds that Tuesday. So I guess you uh probably off the coast wasn't that nice. No, we had I mean it didn't bother me. I, I take my I start taking my bonine two days before we sail and and I just for some reason it doesn't bother me. And you know, being on the eighth deck at the very back of the ship, obviously I felt a lot of movement, but I find it just rocks me to sleep. I I was very tired the whole trip. I took a lot of naps, but there were people just sick all over the ship. Cause I mean, we really, I feel like we only had one day where, <laughs> where we weren't in kind of rough seas. Uh, but it was, you know, it, it, it is what it is. You know, I, I, especially in this day and age, you know, it used to be there was like two months where you were you might reconsider sailing because of you know the, because it's hurricane season or whatever. But now it's so unpredictable. Um, you know, there were people as you will always get demanding they should get their money back because of the weather um, during the question and answer with the officers, um, which I've never had this happen before. At the question and answer with the officers, um, the, the captain was not there, but there were like three of the officers. And Mark Hugh, the cruise director, very specifically said, listen, we want this to be fun. If you have complaints or, you know, if you're here to, like, ask them about, you know, complaining things, save it. Have that conversation with them in private. We only want to talk about, like, light, fun things here, which Mm -hmm. I've never, ever, ever. I mean, I've gone to a lot of those Q&As, and they are always where people – they're always fun because – 
people show up and they're like, you know, my bathroom sink leaks. What are you going to do about it? And I, I think it's fun to watch that. But um, that was not the case here. There's always those few people. So you make your way back to Manhattan. How was the debark? Uh, very smooth. And, and it's because, OK, when I was on Getaway a couple months ago, I was with a friend and she said, oh, no, we're not doing the self you know, self-assist. You're going to leave your luggage in the hallway like everyone else. I was like, no, I never do that. I like to just get my stuff and go, even though it is can sometimes be hard getting down the stairs with your big suitcases and stuff. On the getaway, I left my suitcase outside the door. I was like, oh my God, this is what debarkation is like when you don't have to carry all your own stuff. This is awesome. So I did the same thing here. And um, uh, it took a long time. There was some kind of snag at disembarkation. I'm not sure exactly what. But, you know, they wanted us all out of our rooms by 8.30, and uh, by 9 o'clock, we had still only started to do self-assist, because they did not announce, like, everybody who's self-assisting, come on down. They did it based on your uh, muster station. They were like, if you're in muster station A4 and you're self-assisting, come on down. But despite that, um, I still thought it went pretty smooth. I mean, I hung out in the in the Carnival Lounge and read and waited. And when it was my turn, I went off. And it, you know, it it they they did the um, uh, facial recognition software as far as as far as um, you know dealing with the the port, and that was very easy. So the whole thing really, um, I thought it was I thought it was pretty easy. And I really have become a very big fan of letting them take my suitcase off the ship, especially since I carry a suitcase the size of Texas. <laughs> okay. So looking back, uh, do you have any tips to offer anyone who may be sailing Carnival Venezia in the near future? Um, I would say pack your patience. If you are someone who like, you know, is going to be wanting to go to all of the, you know, the Tomodoro and the guys burger joint and the pizza and stuff, because there are a lot of lines. Uh, there there were a lot of children on this sailing. Um, I didn't really notice that until I went to the the Seuss parade. And there was one point where the one of the cruise staff told the kids, <laughs> okay, I don't care what your parents say. I don't care. This is the one time you were allowed to make as much noise as you want. And those children did, and it was loud. <laughs> um, you know, it's 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 a very good ship, but be prepared in knowing that it probably has more people on it than you would like it to. And there are going to be times, you know, plan accordingly, make reservations. If you want to do something, if there's a restaurant that is on your list, make reservations, don't chance it because it it really can be a little bit chaotic, but otherwise, I mean, you know, take advantage of everything the ship has to offer really, you know, and it does have a lot, like I was six days in before I discovered the, um, basically the promenade deck. I was sort of saying to myself, geez, this ship doesn't have a lot of places where you can hang out and like, just look at the water on a deck. And there was a whole deck that goes all the way around and has restaurants on both sides and has, you know, places you can grab a drink and sit outside. I didn't even realize it. So, because the ship is designed a little bit differently than you might be used to really like take time to look at the deck plan and know what the ship has and what's available. Also keep a really close eye on the fun times because they did things that I didn't realize until several days in, like on sea days, they had a really great pasta lunch that was available in one of the restaurants. Um, it was a limited menu, but it was 
absolutely delicious and it 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 you know it, it was unexpected so just really take advantage of the hub app the app is the best because um while they do still do the paper um the the the, the paper versions of the fun times the app is easily updated um when we changed our schedule and didn't go to half moon k they said okay give us 10 minutes and you will have a whole new updated version of the fun times on your app and it did it changed all just everything all of a sudden there was all kinds of entertainment lined up they clearly have you know a plan in place for when they have to skip a port and turn it into a sea day but they wouldn't have been able to do that with the paper fun times there's just no way so definitely definitely read the fun times and and keep a close eye on things like what restaurants are serving when, because you might find unexpected things there. Very good. And in closing, your final thoughts of Carnival Venezia. You know, I know that a lot of what I said made it sound like it wasn't a great cruise. It was, it was, it was a fantastic cruise. Um, this ship is not necessarily perfect for me or for a lot of people, but for my way of traveling, it was. In fact, I'm already booked on it. Um, I have a friend who doesn't, who hasn't cruised in 30 years and I booked my stateroom and the one next to it and I'm doing this um, again because I know there are certain things they will absolutely love. They will love the Italian restaurant. There's a whole bar that's devoted to like Prosecco and stuff like that. Um, so for the way I travel, which is to do more specialty restaurants and spend a lot of time like on your balcony or in the terraza, it's a great ship. I don't know that everybody will have that same experience because they might be diving more into the crowded areas than I typically do. Very good. Well, thank you so much for this review. We've been talking with staff writer Richard Sims about his cruise last week on Carnival Venezia. Maybe next time you'll get to Half Moon, man. Uh, one of these days. One of these uh, days. Thanks. I'm going to get there. Yeah. Thanks again, man. I appreciate it. Anytime. All right, Dougie. Let's see what we got for you, buddy. Cruise Radio is produced at the TripInsurance.com studios in Jacksonville, Florida. Get cruise news, ship reviews, and money-saving tips every Thursday on Cruise Radio. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show. If you want to help spread the word, give Cruise Radio a five-star review. Find Cruise Radio where you listen to your favorite podcast or online at CruiseRadio.net. I'm your announcer. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply.